Back in days of old, there was a legend told about a hero known as Emma Swan. Long legs and bright blonde hair, cojones out to there. Max, you, sh- you shouldn't sing about women's breasts. It's inappropriate. Cojones aren't breasts. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. Cojones just... are very not much not breasts. You're right, I was distracted by the hand motion you did. No, it was this hand motion. <laughs> See, this you, is great audio. You only do it with the one hand when you're talking about cojones. <laughs> hey, this is Max. And this is Tina. And we're here to talk about... I didn't remember liking this episode so much, but it's the musical episode of Once Upon a Time! We are finally here, and I am feeling something I haven't felt in 20 episodes. Joy? Joy. Okay, so I had this intro I was going to... St- start about how musical episodes are great because songs let you move the plot forward quickly but this is a musical episode full of songs that just stop the plot dead and don't really add anything new to it but now that I'm watching it after we've been watching all of these episodes week after week I'm realizing the thing that they bring to the table is joy again like As we said for the past several episodes, you could legitimately jump from, I think, episode 15 into the finale and not miss anything. But, wow, I remember not liking this episode. I mean, the songs are, don't get me wrong, super terrible. But in an amazingly joyful way. And for the last few episodes, it's felt like no one wants to be here. The actors all genuinely feel like they're having a good time. Yeah, it's not, what is it, senior slump when you're so close to graduating and just no one's putting in any effort. All of your college letters have already been accepted or not. Yes, exactly. Josh Dallas especially. Josh Dallas especially. My God, I think this is the most I've liked David and Mary Margaret in literally the entire run of this show. He's so animated because he's very excited because he's probably the most technically proficient singer in the cast. Yeah, what the fuck? Josh Dallas can sing. I know, now we know what his skill is. Like, why isn't he in more stuff where he sings? Maybe he is and we just haven't seen it. True. I do want to point out, there is one character who was a mainstay of the main cast for a while, but is not in this episode, who I very recently discovered was in a boy band. Who? Sean McGuire. What? Yes. Robin Hood from this show was in a boy band. What What was the boy band? I don't remember. I think it was not American, but... Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's exciting, actually, honestly. (laughs) Oh, so... We should just jump into it. I'm honestly not sure how long this episode's going to be because, as I said, not a lot happens. But you know how sometimes we're like, just listen to us, skip the episode? This is not the case. Listen to us and watch the episode. Okay, but be prepared. There's this thing with 
Well, we're going to actually talk about it pretty soon. Uh, you may have heard in some of our previous episodes us referencing the Disney made-for-TV movies The Descendants, which we have now hit the Patreon goal to talk about those, so I'm keep an eye out for so that. I'm so excited to talk about that. Thank you so much to our patrons who put us over the top so that we can finally justify doing our Descendants podcast. The thing is, I genuinely enjoy those movies. They're not by any stretch of the imagination good, but I do genuinely enjoy them. I have difficulty getting through some of the musical numbers because I have a very strong case of secondhand embarrassment for actors. And, oh boy, the musical numbers in those movies are just... Oh, it's so funny that you said that because I didn't say this to you, but one of my thoughts when I saw that we had gone past our goal was oh good i'm so excited to make max watch the be our guest rap again oh god it just that's not the one that super gets me i hate that i hate whenever people in children's shows rap because it's never good it's never good it is a genre that requires you respecting it it doesn't have to be children to be bad. Remember how bad the sugar sugar rap is in the Archie made for TV movie that I made you watch? Yes, I do. I have very strong memories of that. When I was a kid, the 90s Archie TV movie was one of the mainstays of my VHS collection, and I was also a big Archie Comics fan. Mm. And I remember being upset at how they had made Jughead sexualized. Like, when the movie starts, he's divorced and bitter with a kid. And then at the end of the movie, he hooks up with Sexy Ethel. And I was like, what a betrayal of Jughead's character. I also have issues with them making Ethel sexy. I'm sorry, it is okay to have one female character who isn't right out of the mold. Okay, that is true. It's okay to have a character who's out of the mold. But I actually, that part I don't have a problem with because the idea was that she was tall and gawky as a teenager, and as an adult, she was a supermodel because... Tall and gawky and looking younger than you are is something that becomes more advantageous the more you age. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of a running joke in the movie that he's avoiding her the whole reunion because he's afraid that she's going to want to get with his bald ass. And then when she finally does find him, she's like super sexy, and he's like, oh, now I'm into you. And I'm like, what? No, you're into burgers and you're asexual. Jughead doesn't fuck. Yeah, little did I know, little did I know what Cole Sprouse was going to do to us. Uh, Riverdale is great, but Jughead is by far the worst adapted out of the main Archie characters. It's so strange because Jughead is the heart of Archie comics. If you mess up Jughead, you would think that the story couldn't work, but I actually am really digging Riverdale. We've watched all of the... We've watched all of the Riverdale that's available on Netflix, so the first two seasons, and as soon as the third season wraps up, we'll watch all of that, but yeah. I mean, it's a really different take on Cheryl Blossom, too, but I love it. I actually don't think the Cheryl Blossom take is that different. (laughs) Honestly, you were talking when we were watching it about how Cheryl Blossom is, like, one minute friends with them and one minute enemies with them, and that kind of is her character. Well... It's not just that she's friends with them one minute and enemies the next. It's that she seamlessly slides from one to the other. I think, again, the the summation of Cheryl Blossom's character on Riverdale is someone who slides between high school mean girl and vengeful Victorian ghost child at will. I don't think that's that off from her portrayal in the comics. 
Actually, I mean, Jughead is probably the hardest hit by the adaptation, but they are not doing Reggie any favors either. He's like... He's absent. Honestly, it's weird. It's like most of the storylines that should have gone to Reggie went to Jughead. Yeah, it sort of feels like they chopped up Reggie's stuff for parts and gave it to other characters, because, like, his dad runs the newspaper in the comics. Instead of Betty's dad in Riverdale. Yeah, and he's also the level of medium rich that uh, the Coopers are in Riverdale. Yeah, although the Coopers in Riverdale aren't portrayed as being rich, even though they... Should be? Well, they're, like, an... They're an established family, but they don't seem to be moneyed. How are they that established, given what we find out about them? I mean... This has been Welcome to Riverdale. Yeah. We should talk about Once Upon a Time. Especially... I mean, as long as we're here, though, I do have to say that I really appreciate the musical episode of Riverdale. They did something that I think worked really well for them, which was to take a musical that is infamous but not well-loved, and use those songs instead of coming up with new songs or doing a musical that people have very strong feelings about, looking at you, Rocky Horror episode of Glee. I heard that they do another musical episode later with the Heathers musical. Perfect! That is perfect, especially because the Heather's musical, unlike Carrie the musical, is genuinely good, hmm. but it's not as well known as it should be. Yeah, I'm wondering why they haven't got around to doing the whole, you know, it was a movie and then it was a musical and then it was a movie musical thing with Heather's. Like they did with Hairspray? Uh, like they did with Hairspray or like they did with Little Shop of Horrors. Like it's a thing. You know, instead of their terribly conceived Heather's reboot, they should have, right... They should have done Heather's the Musical live. Hey, 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 it's modern commentary about how now people who used to be outsiders are the bullies and how you should root for the pretty white blonde kids who are murdering them. Yeah, I'm so glad that show got pulled. Also, if you're really interested in in hearing a takedown of it, there's a fat activist writer on Twitter named uh, Kevin, mm-hmm. uh, whose Twitter handle is at Kiva Bay. And he did some great threads about Heathers that were a pleasure to read. I can imagine much better than watching it. Although, what's great is if you were following the whole thing as it was going down, the Heathers 28, God, 2018, when it was supposed to come out, uh, Twitter was all, like, attacking people and acting mean girlish, where everyone was like, this is never gonna air, and if it does air, like, like, this was a bad idea from the ground up. There was never a part where this was not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, basically. It was so weird seeing the actress from Heather's 2018 in, uh, Shrill, though. She shouldn't be punished because she was in a terrible TV show. Especially because there are not a lot of roles for plus-size actresses, and... She was great in Shrill, so... She was great in Shrill. I hope she's a bigger part of the next season. Yeah, me too. That was a really short... Oh my god! They had to shoot around... They had to shoot around Aidy Bryant's uh, SNL schedule. That's why it was so short. It's one day a week. And they don't try very hard. Come on. Actually, I've been enjoying SNL. Welcome to... Welcome to Storybrooke! (laughs) Okay, the musical episode of Once Upon a Time. 
So, uh, as a reminder, Emma was once a very, very small ghost child. Yeah, it's weird. She looks so pale and her eyes look really sunken. I'm sure it's just the lighting. But child Emma in this flashback looks like a Victorian ghost child. Yeah, that's that's the best description for it. She's holding a uh, flyer for a talent show. Uh, she She's going to sing in this talent show. Well, I mean, we assume she's going to sing. The talent show flyer says, It's your time to shine. And she pulls out a little mini tape recorder and starts, like, singing into it. Not singing words, just, like, vocalizing into it. Like Anna Kendrick at the end of Pitch Perfect 3. So... The Chiron tells us we're in Minnesota in 1991, and not to be that guy, but this is a podcast and I am perpetually that guy. This looks like this is just after August found her under that bridge in Boston and gave her her last name. Uh Uh-huh. Why is she in Minnesota? I think this is before that. I think this is before she runs away. I think- So she just doesn't have a last name here. Yeah, what- well, I'm sure I'm sure she has a last name. I'm sure the system has given her a last name and we just don't see it and she doesn't use it. It's probably Doe. She was probably baby girl Doe when they found her. Well, they found her as a baby. Yeah, she was probably baby girl Doe. Do they not give foster children different names when they reach a certain age? Are you just Doe forever? Yeah, why would they give her a different name? She was probably entered in... Well, she... We know she was given the name Emma because it was on her blanket, and she was probably entered into the system as Emma Doe, and that's probably just, that was probably just her life. I'm just saying you don't see a lot of, like, adult people with the last name Doe unless they're murdered, so. Actually, honestly, I assume it would be probably difficult for you to have the last name Doe because it's used in court filings when you don't know the name of a person, so it would probably be one of those things where it would populate when people did searches on you and things like that it would probably make your life very difficult like uh people whose last name is null n-u-l-l have issues where the system drops them yeah so you're right they probably just gave her a name like they probably just gave her smith or jones or something yeah i'd imagine so Uh, we probably actually could have researched this that's a there's actually probably an interesting process that goes with giving abandoned children names last names yeah, maybe. Maybe. Huh. I'm, I'm just thinking, of course, I'm thinking of Game of Thrones, where each region... I don't know if you're aware of this, because I know you don't read the Game of Thrones books. It's true, I don't. But each region has a different last name that they give to bastard children. Like John's is Snow. Exactly. In, in the one, North. Right. In the North, it's Snow. In one region, it's Stone or Sand. So... Emma is uh, preparing for this talent show when some asshole older kid comes in and tells her she's a garbage person with no future, so she might as well not ever sing. Well, she's telling her that nobody cares about foster kids, so she should stop thinking people care about her. She's like, ugh, you think you have an inspiring story that's going to cause them to make a package on you for American Idol? Well, joke's on you. It's 1991. I don't know what American Idol is. She could go on Star Search. That was a thing, right? Yeah, but it wasn't a thing the way American Idol was a thing. It is kind of great that the girl's like, what, you think you're going to be the next Madonna? And I was like, does Madonna sing like this? And she's like, not yet, but she will briefly when she gets into our 
artistic phase in the like late 90s you know that song where she was like surrounded by snow and wearing black and there was like a bird flying around remember yeah. that yeah yeah no that madonna's madonna's uh I don't even know what to call that phase. But yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I said artistic phase, but I don't know. If, I feel Everything like, she did was artistic. I feel like a lot of pop stars have that, like, serious album. Um, To the extent that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend did a song where the song goes on so long that the artists enter their serious artistic phase in the Road Trip episode. Uh, see, I would call that experimental rather than... That's true, it is experimental. And they're specifically referencing Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Yeah, I was thinking more like that Christina Aguilera song where she stopped doing, like, club-esque music. And, you know, the one about how you should feel good about being yourself or whatever. I think it's called Beautiful. It is called Beautiful. But that is the thesis statement of that song, is that you should feel good about being yourself or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that thesis statement. There's not. It's just, it's a little generic. All right. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it is a statement that is easy to apply. I'd say nobody's like against being yourself, but I guess yeah, that's not the way it is. There's a lot of people are against being yourself. So after this girl is done tearing down Emma's dreams, we go to the title card, and it's an orchestra warming up. Yeah, and we hear the like opening chords of an overture. It's great. It's great. Honestly, I would say that Emma's humming is the overture of this piece. Mm. Every single night, the same arrangement. I go out and fight the fight. Still, Still I always feel the strangest estrangement. Nothing here is real. Nothing here is right. Uh. Um, I do have to say, though, I'm sorry, now I'm going to be that girl. Okay. There is an overture in Once More With Feeling before there, she starts singing that. There is. There's a big, long overture, and they go through all of the... You, you know what an overture is. You've all seen The Office. Remember the... Uh, yeah, no, I know, but I thought you were going to say you've all seen Once More With Feeling, because I'm sure they have. You've all seen Once More With Feeling. God. Okay, so... You know, I said at the beginning I didn't know how long this episode was going to be... It's going to be very long, I think. We've been talking for a while and we're not even at the first scene. But just to compare Once More With Feeling to this episode, mm-hmm. Once More With Feeling is a great episode of Buffy. I love it. Like, I don't need to, I don't need to tell you that it's a good episode of Buffy. But it's not a great episode to show people as their first episode of Buffy. And I think some people do that and it's a mistake because the plot that brings the songs in is that people are forced to sing their secrets, which means before you show it to people, you have to explain to them like 10 different storylines and who's been hiding what. Mm. Or not, and then just let them go in blind, I guess. But this episode, I think, is actually a great only episode of Once Upon a Time to show people, almost specifically because nothing happens. If you let them know that the show is a fairy tale mashup and who the fairy tale characters are, that's really all they need to know going in. Yeah, honest to God, this could be someone's good first episode of Once Upon a Time, as long as they're not someone who's really into musicals because, and I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of our nephew here. Some people have very high standards when it comes to music. It's it's very true. He was very disdainful of his mommy and me music class. Mm. But that's because he's being raised by my sister, who is a musical theater college professor, and, you know, he has high standards. 
he's been to classes with people who will be professional. Yeah. Yeah, I, yes. So, in the episode proper, uh, Emma's looking at wedding dresses because her wedding is coming up since the Black Fairy is definitely dead. Yes, um, I love that she is at her house looking at wedding dresses. She didn't go to a store. I guess somebody brought wedding dresses to her to look at. Sure, fine, whatever. But that someone made mimosas for her and Regina and Zelina to be drinking while they look for wedding dresses because you absolutely can't pick out a white dress without some champagne and orange juice in your hand. Maybe they created them magically. That actually makes a lot of sense. So, Snow comes in and she offers to let Emma use her wedding dress, presumably from her big fancy wedding and not her David's mom's dying so we have to get married really quickly wedding. Well, yeah. I mean, my first wedding, I had a legal wedding that nobody knew about and then the big party wedding. And I always thought of the big party wedding as the real wedding. I don't even know what I wore to the legal wedding that nobody knew about, especially because they did it like on my lunch break. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma's very excited to wear Snow's dress, which, I mean, we've all seen how Snow dresses. Maybe look at it first. Well, oh, 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 she has seen pictures of it in the book. Okay, I did think about that, but they are very Photoshop filtered. True, true. Yeah, I I guess I wouldn't judge any clothes just from the pictures from the book. Speaking of- Also- And this is kind of a weird thing, but Snow has dark hair and Emma has blonde hair. The same dresses might not look good on the same people. Ah, point. Although, I mean, it's it's all white dresses, so. Why do you gotta be wearing white? I didn't wear white to either of my weddings. I mean. Come on, Emma. We all know Henry exists. But also, like. Who cares? Just wear a dress that you like. Yes, exactly. We know Emma can rock a red dress. Oh my god, imagine if she wore that red Leia dress or something similar. Mm. Mm. So we cut from Emma being like, yeah, I'll totally wear the dress that your wedding got cursed in. To upset Snow and David, who are bracing themselves for the curse. They've just talked to Rumpelstiltskin and he's like, yeah, there's nothing you can do to stop the dark curse. So it's not the night after their wedding. Right. Because Snow knows that she's pregnant. And, like you said, they just talked to Rumpelstiltskin. Mm-hmm. But she's still got the flowers in her hair. She could just put flowers in her hair all the time. It could be a thing that she does. All right. Until she loses the wig. <laughs> all right. All right. Fair point. Fair point. So, uh, David, by the way, is wearing this, like, my God, it looks like it came out of a children's dress-up bin prince outfit well it is basically a dress-up children's prince outfit because you remember where it came from rumpelstiltskin put it on him with magic when he was going to go wake up snow with a kiss and then it just eventually entered his regular rotation apparently okay i i mean he was born a shepherd i guess he's not gonna just throw out clothes because an evil goblin person created them to build the proper waking his cursed lover aesthetic also don't forget this is fake medieval times you wear the same outfits forever Mm. so so snow leaves david to walk out onto a balcony stare up at the north star and make a wish she makes a wish upon a star Mm. and you know what we haven't talked about lately 
We haven't talked about it in a while, but it was a running thing there, especially during the Blue Heavy episodes. The Blue Fairy is a freaking vengeance demon. She is. She wields the power of the wish. And it's apparently her most powerful form of magic here. So, yeah, it really seems like the Blue Fairy's a vengeance demon. Although it's funny because, not to get too, just an episode where we're comparing this to Once More with Feeling, but but in Buffy, it's not a vengeance demon who creates the curse. Yeah, it's sweet. Yes. So... Wait, wait. A musical demon whose one power is showing up and making things into musicals. I want to spin off of just him. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's also the one Buffy character villain. He's the one Buffy villain who has what I would call sort of an unambiguous victory. Like, he doesn't get his bride, but... He doesn't particularly seem to care about that all that much. No, I mean, he caused a lot of havoc. And then he left. Yeah. I, it's, it's a weird thing where Buffy goes to him at the climax and is like, I can't fight you, so I'm, I'm here to give up. And you're like, are you kidding? This is a low level demon. This is like the thing that you do. This is the guy you usually defeat in the cold open, Buffy. What is happening to you? So it makes a lot more sense that in this episode, I mean, it's not the musical part, but we're dealing with the Black Fairy. So when Emma shows up at the climax and says, I can't defeat you, at least it's the most powerful magical thing they've faced up to this point. I don't know. I mean, Buffy never actually has fisticuffs with Sweet. We really don't know that much about Sweet. That's true, but that's the reason it's so weird that her line is, I can't beat you. But why not? Nope. Not trying. It's funny because the story for Buffy in that season is that she just really doesn't want to be there. Mm. Whereas in this show, it's the meta thing behind the eyes of all the actors, except not in this episode, which is why it's amazing. Okay, back to this episode. So uh, get ready for a lot of Buffy comparisons because they're not going to stop. I honestly, watching this episode, just a little preview of our recommendations, but Watching this episode just gives me a hunger to go back and watch once more with feeling. I already warned Max, in fact, that watching this episode has put me in a certain mood and we will be watching musical stuff probably for the rest of the weekend. Mm. Mm. This, I'm going to save it for recommendations. I assumed you were going to do the Buffy musical. so I That's actually not my recommendation, but oh. I mean, that's like a meta recommendation over everything. It's a perpetual recommendation. So... This opens, the musical part of this episode opens kind of the same way the Buffy musical opens with the main character, as it were, waking up in bed. And, oh my god, this is the best song in the musical, and it's Mary Margaret and David. Yes, yes, Mary Margaret wakes up to a bluebird singing and starts... Singing, singing back yeah which is funny because in buffy it was mimicking how disney princess movies are here she's an actual disney princess but is still surprised to be bursting into song yeah she's totally freaked out by it and then david bursts into the room and oh my god i love josh dallas in this episode yeah he's like i'm kind of freaked out that i'm singing but also listen to how amazing my voice is like Every other line Josh Shallow sings in the song is just about what a good singer he is. And 
Points to him. He is a good singer. Did the people who wrote the songs know that Josh Jallis is actually good at singing? I think they must have because they really wrote it up for him. Yeah. Like, he, he walks into the room doing like, oh, I can't do it. But he's like doing the scales. I'm sorry. Since you said you can't do it, I have to let our listeners know that we are going to do a Patreon-only thing where our patrons can hear us doing these songs on the Patreon. So if you are one of our patrons, hop on over to listen to us mangle the songs from this show. At some point. They're not going to be up right after this episode comes out. Yes. But keep your eye out for the near future. So the two of them start start this song, which starts out with being confused about what's going on, but then kind of segues into, oh, I know, we can use this weird magic spell thing. We're assuming magic's behind, you know, the singing, because duh. Oh, Snow White realizes it's because of the wish she made. And they're like, ah, with the power of musical tropes, we will be able to defeat the evil queen, because that is very clearly the sort of musical we are in. Yes, um... While they're doing this, their backup dancers are Snow's handmaidens who come in to, like, get her ready for the day. And I just imagine that these girls are like, what fucking bullshit is this? There's a spell on the kingdom and now I have to come to a backup dancer in addition to, like, emptying Snow's chamber pot. (laughs) Great. Uh, Fuck my life. So... Yeah, they're like, oh, this is exactly what we need. We can use the power of singing to defeat the evil queen. Because you know that's the evil queen's weakness. Singing. And it's not just singing, though. It's the song of their love. It's, it's, they're conflating the power of their singing and the power of them being in love. Well, the song comes from their hearts. Which I think we didn't say is actually the title of this episode. The song in your heart. Oh, Yeah. So, back in the present, Snow White brings the dress in for Emma to examine, and it is the dress that we saw her getting married in, Hmm. but as Emma is holding it, it turns black. Looks pretty cool. I think it looks great, and she should get married in that. Hmm. But maybe not, because it turns out it turned black because the black fairy showed up and decided that that was the best way to fuck with her, like, to announce her presence was to turn the dress black. She sends one of her little puppet men to be like, tell the Slayer if she doesn't come to the bronze by six, her sister's going to hell. Ha ha. I forget exactly what the puppet dude said, but words to that effect. Yeah. Yes. uh, The Black Fairy's like, look, the final battle's coming up and I'm going to murder you and I'm going to murder her and her and her and him and her and him and her. And well, don't forget the most important thing the Black Fairy is there to tell them, which is that Rumple didn't actually kill her. Because remember, we left off with them last episode thinking that she was dead because Rumple had killed her. I mean, not us, the audience. We knew that he hadn't. But Emma, Snow, Regina, Zelina, they're all under the impression that she's dead. Well, I assumed her just being there as the subtext of, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. But our, our listeners may have forgotten that that's where we left off last episode. Yes. So, uh, if Emma doesn't come to, like, Emma can just roll into the final battle, as was expected, or she can come see the Black Fairy early, hand over her heart, and then all of her loved ones won't be horribly cursed. The Black Fairy also tells her to go to the clock tower, the real heart of Storybrooke, Mm. so that she can see exactly what is up. 
Okay, wait. Oh, also, because there's a lot of... She's cramming a lot of exposition in here. She's also like, you think that you're strong because you have your family, but I collect orphans, and I can smell orphanness on you, and you don't have a family. Nah, 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 nah. I actually like that, because she does collect orphans. That's a thing we've seen about her. And... I, I still don't get how she got from point A to point B there. No, that's a little confusing, but it's good for her to tie that into Emma's past. It's, it's good thematically. I became the black fairy to protect my child. Therefore, I'm going to kidnap other children and make them work in my evil diamond mines so I can get enough power to question mark. Okay, so, I mean, I'm going to be giving way, way, way too much credit to the black fairy right now. Mm-hmm. But I think she was, by giving her a backstory that the show didn't show us... But I think after she was banished, she was probably doing a thing where she was trying to use prophecy to figure out who the child who was going to destroy her son was. Wait, no, she knew it was her at that point. Yeah. Fuck, I don't know. I don't know, Max. <laughs> I was I was trying to I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here, but no, I got nothing. I got nothing. Anyway, I know this is going back to last episode. But the clock tower was frozen until Emma showed up, and then it began telling time again. That's like the clock tower. Mm-hmm. The clock tower is the heart of Storybrooke, not Granny's. What the hell, Blue? Eh. All right. So, anyway, Emma and Snow White and Regina and Zelina all go to the heart of Storybrooke. And they see that the bell in the clock tower is full of black fairy dust, like a shit ton of black fairy dust, and that she's going to launch a new version of the Dark Curse, presumably one that doesn't require the heart of the thing that she loves the most. I mean, that makes sense. She created the Dark Curse, so she should be able to make variations on it. I guess if you just have enough extra dark mojo, you don't need to do the one thing that has, you know, been necessary to cast the Dark Curse all this time. Yeah. Regina says it's enough black fairy dust to curse Storybrooke ten times over, so, you know, I guess she's just overwhelming them with power. Why'd she need the whole Zelina crystals thing? Yeah, right? I guess she didn't. Regina uses detect magic on it to tell that it's going to go off at six o'clock, right at the time that Emma and Hook are getting married. Also, Zelina says, what a fucking drama queen. Wow, and that's from Zelina. Right? So Emma's like, you know what? Fuck it. Why don't we just go beat the shit out of the Black Fairy? And... Like, <laughs> Zelina, you can run her over and then we can all kick her when she's pinned under your car. And Snow tells her, you know, we can all go with you. This isn't just your fight. Regina tells her, I ruined your parents' wedding, so the least I can do is save yours. So... Which is a lead into the next thing, but her plan is that she's just going to, she's like, you know what? I have the most dark curse experience here. I can probably just fuck with it so it won't end up working. Like, Right. Now, Regina does have the most dark curse experience, but I just would like to point out that she's not the only one in that clock tower who cast a dark curse. Yeah, Snow's right there with her. That must be a real confidence killer for Regina. That Snow oh, White- Snow did it. <laughs> what, like it's hard? god but speaking of regina oh my goodness so who's uh, i know this isn't exactly a one-to-one -one parallel 
whose song would this be from Once More With Feeling? Is it What You Feel? No, it's I Have a Theory. It is. Oh my god, this is I Have a Theory. Right, yeah. She's she's coming. She comes into her tower and she realizes, oh my gosh, there's some sort of weird curse on the town. And... I've got a theory, some fairy scheming, and we're all stuck inside this wacky Broadway nightmare. Exactly. But she doesn't just have to theorize, because Sydney comes to life in the magic mirror and sings to her that Snow and David have made a wish to make everyone sing, which, excuse me, Sydney, Snow made a wish, not Snow and David. Yeah, yeah, giving him a little bit too much credit there. So Regina is going from mirror to mirror in her castle, seeing all of the different citizens of the Enchanted Forest singing their songs, which is really funny because they're original songs, but the first two she looks at are the dwarves singing a song that is not hi-ho. But is reminiscent of hi-ho. Yes, and then she sees Geppetto singing a song that is not I've Got No Strings, but does in fact reference that Pinocchio is a puppet who's turned into a real boy and does have no strings. They got the pup it out. That. That is what happens. Yes, this is the they got the mustard out bit. Exactly. Or alternatively, the uh, parking ticket song. Yes. Also, we see Granny knitting and singing about how much she likes Snow White, which is hilarious yeah she's talking about how she's going to die soon but at least with princess snow in power good times are here to stay yep and then of course she sees snow and david singing which pisses her off super a lot it is important to note that these are the vignettes she sees because these are the vignettes that well well let's talk about the evil queen's song oh boy yes Okay, first, I have some terrible news for you, Max. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this show for a few years now. We have. Where we try to explain Once Upon a Time to the people. Turns out, we could have just shown them the Evil Queen song and been done with it. It is amazing. It's amazing. Okay, okay, let's let's go. I love Lana Puria. I love her so much. She is a... Amazingly talented, amazingly beautiful woman, but dear God, can she not sing? She doesn't have to sing, Max. She's performing. She is giving it her all. It doesn't matter that she has to speak, sing basically the whole song. Also, her choreography involves breaking the necks of her guards. Yeah, she starts the song and she's doing this. She's dancing a lot during this number and she's doing like this arm shaking, like elbow thrust and thing and the two guards behind her are both doing it too and then she flings her hands up in the air and both of their necks snap behind her yep and then they just fall to the floor her choreography involves just randomly killing her guards for no reason god why would anyone work for her oh so she sings a song about how love doesn't stand a chance because she's got all the power she needs to cast her darkest of spells. And my God, I know she can't sing, but it's not really helped by the fact that none of these lines scan. It does not scan well, but I don't even care. Also, most of her dancing involves just like thrusting her boobs out a lot. 
there's a lot of her grabbing dwarves or granny or small children and shoving them into her cleavage. Yeah, the dance takes her through all of the vignettes she saw. It's weird. It's really weird because she just, like, she shows up in the dwarf mines and she's all, like, dancing aggressively at them and knocking shit out of their hands. And then she's in Geppetto's house and she's sticking Pinocchio's face in her breasts and kicking his table over. Then she shows up behind Granny and is, like, doing this weird seductive rising up behind her to sing. And then just meanly takes her knitting out of her hands and rips it in half. Also sticking her chest again in Granny's face. This is like one of the three moves they gave Lana Perea to do. Yeah, she, yeah. She rises up. But she's up. good at it. She is good at it. She like rises up from behind Granny and does like vampire hands over her. I am, I, I it's amazing. You know what? I love it. There is so much going on here and she's dancing crazy. Oh, it's a breakaway pop hit. These references are not going to stop at any point. I'm afraid not. Although, honest to God, it does kind of look like when Sweet's trying to burn up Buffy at the end and Buffy's dancing. Yeah, her dancing does look like the dancing of people right before they combust, which makes sense because she is the victim, victim of this particular song. Hmm. Sorry, of this particular spell. So we cut to that to immediately throw some cold shower onto your face. To mix my metaphors a little bit. We cut to Hook and David talking about suits. And Hook's like, do you think I need to wear this crappy white suit? Or can I just wear the whole black leather thing I've been going for the whole time? And David's like, I honestly don't think she'll care. Yeah. Yeah. And then Emma shows up and is like, hey, I gotta talk to you. And Hook tells her, no, it's bad luck to see the bride before the wedding. She's like, what the fuck would you know about that? You know Hook has been reading Bride magazines. Mm. Like, since they got engaged, she's probably been mainlining them. So she tells Hook that she's going to face the Black Fairy on her own, blah, blah, blah. There's some things a, a man's got to do. A man's got to do what a man's got to do. You switched over to Dr. Horrible. I did. Nice. It's still a Whedon musical. Yes. I almost said Buffy instead of Emma just now. <laughs> uh. Emma tells Hook that she's going to go fight the Black Fairy, but she'll be back in time for the wedding. Just, you know, get her to the church on time. And... This is a fun episode if you're not into musicals. (laughs) And Hook is... But Hook is not fooled. He knows that Emma is not there just to tell him that. She is there to say goodbye because she knows she might die. And then we flash back to Hook. To Hook's song. This is, of course, Let Me Rest in Peace. Of course. So, yes. It's a more piratey Let Me Rest in Peace, but it is very, very much Let Me Rest in Peace. Well, I mean, sort of. Rest in Peace was about how Spike was in love with Buffy but didn't want to be, and she was kind of teasing him and, like, being half in a relationship with him and half not to keep him on the hook, as it were. Oh, God. Whereas this song is about how he's so thirsty for revenge because of what... Happened with Mila and... Well, both of the songs are about single-minded obsession with a single person, even though the singer knows that it's toxic and is not going to end well. Ooh, that's a that's a good comparison. Yeah, all right. So anyway, David and Snow go into a tavern looking for Hook because they need a captain to take them to the evil queen's castle so that they can sing at her. Okay, so, so that they can sing at her! 
I didn't even know these two countries were separated by water. They are not! We have seen them traverse it over land multiple times. But their stories must intertwine. One of the lines from Hook's song. Yeah, Hook's song is weirdly meta because it's all about how he he doesn't care how much gold David has in his sack. Which, it's been a while since we've made a joke about David going off into the woods with... Uh, his golden sack. But there's definite bedroom eyes between Hook and David at the beginning of this song. There's also the meta line where Snow asks him what he wants and he tells her, wait till the second verse. Yes, Hook has a very meta song. But I like the meta line about once again our stories will intertwine because it's not just meta to this scene, but meta to the fact that this show seems to have forgotten that its original idea was fairy tales mashed up. I know I should go, but I follow him like a man possessed, etc., etc. Because he's referring to Rumpel as the crocodile throughout the song, which, well, mostly he refers to him as the croc. It's easier to rhyme. It's easier to rhyme. But then he mentions the dark one and Snow's like, okay, okay. Now I know this is going to sound like a huge coincidence, but we happen to have the dark one in our basement. And Hook's like, that does seem like a huge coincidence, but you know what? I'm just going to believe you. Well, to be fair, it does sound like a huge coincidence, but also it is where all of these characters were at this point in the story. Mm. Hook was wandering around trying to kill Rumpelstiltskin, and the reason he couldn't find him was because he was locked in their dungeon. So, yeah. Okay, so this is Rest in Peace, but you know what this song really reminded me of when we were watching it? What? The song from Tangled. Oh, yeah, with the bad guy bar. Yeah, the Find Your Dream song. And, and Hook's dream is killing Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. Tangled seemed like a really big deal when it came out, but they haven't really done... I mean, I guess there's the animated series, but it hasn't had as much in the way of follow-up as Frozen did. Well, I will say, I enjoyed Tangled, but the songs were not as catchy as the songs in Frozen. Speaking of, one of the lines in this song is, Some people say I should let it go, but I say no. Okay, so I just want to do a quick breakdown of the people who are not in this episode who probably should be. Just for singing sake. Okay. Uh, Jasmine? Actually, yeah, it was basically just Jasmine. Oh. Because, again, the actress who played Jasmine was also Izzy on Gallivant, which is a show all about, you know... Singing? Yes. Music, a musical fairy tale show? They easily could have fit an Aladdin Jasmine song in here. They fit an... They fit a Wicked Witch song in here, and that makes no sense. None. So, uh, Hook agrees to give them a ride to the Evil Queen's palace because Mm -hmm. revenge or whatever. We cut from that to Hook entering Mr. Goldshop and being like, hey, you didn't kill your mom. And Gold's like, I don't kill a lot of people's moms. And Hook doesn't say this out loud, but it's like, Rumpel killed his first wife and has now set up his second wife. Well, fiancé. And has now set up his fiancé to die, so... God damn it, Rumble. It's not a great pattern. Rumble Stillskin's like, yeah, what are you gonna do? I'm the dark one. And Hook takes out, I think it's Tiger Lily's blow dart gun? It is Tiger Lily's blow dart gun. And blow darts a dart 
tipped with dream shade into Rumpelstiltskin. And Rumpelstiltskin's like, uh, this isn't gonna kill me. We've been through this before. I'm the dark one. And, like, I know I was dying from this before, but that was because it got me in the non-magic land. Although it's a magic poison, but then again, I guess magic artifacts carry their magic into the mortal world. And Hook's like, shut up. It's it's not gonna kill you, it's just gonna knock you out. And then Rumpel passes out, which was very nice of him. Yes. But the Black Fairy shows up and is like, hey, guess what? Um, no. Because Hook's like, I take care of my family. And, uh... The Black Fairy's like, thank you for feeding me that line. (laughs) Thank you for setting me up for that amazing entrance line. Because I take care of my family too. (laughs) Speaking of taking care of your family, Emma is in the sheriff's office going through a box of stuff looking for tokens of her family to take into battle with her. Mm. Henry shows up and because he's the best kid in the whole world, is like, hey mom. I am behind you 100%. Go fight the Black Fairy. I believe in you. Yeah. When when he shows up, Emma's like, oh, are you here to talk me out of this too? And he's like, no, I'm here to give you my unconditional support because I've seen you beat bad guys before. And, you know, you can do this. I believe in you. And I'm omnipotent. So, you know, just, just, you're going to do fine. Henry also finds the tape recorder of her vocalizing and is like, what is this? And she's like, no, don't listen to that. Which I totally relate to because when I was a kid, I had one of those little handheld tape recorders and I made my own little radio shows and oh my god, the embarrassment if anyone ever heard any of those. Yeah. I mean, you look at anything you did as a kid and you're like, oh, this is so embarrassing. Heck, I look at stuff I did within recent memory creatively and I'm like, it's not great. So with uh, Henry's support and her tape not being played, uh, Emma stalks off to go face the Black Fairy. Meanwhile, down in the... Meanwhile, down in the... I was going to say Evil Queen, but she's not evil anymore. Down in Regina's vault, Regina and Zelina are trying to figure out how to stop the curse. And <laughs> Zelina's like, we don't have any time! And Regina's like, time! That's it! It's a very... I didn't watch House, but I'm given to understand that's how he solved all of the medical emergencies. That is exactly what I was thinking of. Basically, she says that they don't need to stop the Dark Curse, they just need to stop the portion of it that freezes time. I'm not sure that that 100% tracks, but it is a musical episode, so we do not study the plot too carefully. Everything comes down to time. That was kind of a swerve into the, uh scrubs musical i i know what it was well just the dr house thing maybe did didn't house do like a mu not a musical thing but like they did karaoke or something for an episode i i know i've seen clips of him and wilson doing a song i mean they might have i don't remember that particularly there were like nine seasons of house i do remember the episode of veronica mars where she was forced to do karaoke and she did at gunpoint no, the person that she was, the person that she was trying to find delivered a secret message to her telling her that she had to do karaoke and then they would reveal themselves. And so she did blondies one way or another. Oh God, that's great. I like that she chose a thematically appropriate song. Yes. Oh, we should, we need to watch Veronica Mars. We do. So. Back in the flashback, the evil queen goes down into the basement to confront Rumpelstiltskin which, by the way, means that the Charmings didn't need to do anything to get to Regina because she is in their house right now. 
The spell is coming from inside the house. So Regina's like, how do I stop this magical spell thing? And Rumpel's like, so I'm going to do a little Don's Lament here. And then he does the trope that I really like, where he acts like he's about to start a song and does not. Yeah, it's Don's Lament because he like... But Don actually sings a couple of lines. I guess it is more when the puppet guy is being interrogated by Spike. When Spike when Spike throws him into the bronze, it's not the bronze. When Spike throws him into the magic shop and is like, "Hey, sing him your song," and he says, and he just says the and he just says the message out loud because we're getting, you know. Yeah, we need to get to the end here. It's great because there's the swelling of music and you're like, they're at the bronze. I do have to say, Dawn does not do. Dawn does not get a real song in the Buffy musical. She gets a couple of lines for Dawn's Lament and then is immediately kidnapped because she's Dawn. And then she gets a couple of lines in a... But she does get the dream ballet. She does get the dream ballet. Which is more than fair, I think. Yeah. She is a dancer. Yes. Because Whedon loves his dancers. Yeah, that that is a... That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. But anyway... Rumble's not going to sing. He just tells Regina that she has to figure out the answer how to stop this singing curse. Which is such a fucking asshole move. That's what you do when you don't know the answer and you don't want to just say you don't know the answer. Well, he flips it back on her because he's like, I think that if I chose the right witch, she'll know how to stop this musical curse. Very clearly setting it up so we can cut to Zelina watching them in her magic mirror. Okay, this is such a cheat. Because there is, because based on the timeline of when this happens, there should not be a Zelina song. But no, no, Zelina gets a song where she sings about how she is so much better than Regina, even though the two of them are years from meeting. I mean, she knows that Regina exists, I know. Yeah. But she should not be in this episode. But, you know, Rebecca Mater's there. They have to give her a song. You know who's notably absent in this episode? Who? Belle. Oh, that's weird. You're right. Belle isn't even in the episode, let alone with a song. Yeah. Huh. I wonder what was going on with that. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's very weird. All right, so let's let's talk about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. Oh my god. Elphabutant. About the Wicked Witch's song. Look. Don't stand there and remind me of defying gravity what is wrong with you I, she's not a bad singer or anything but my god don't invite this many comparisons to adina menzel at the height of her power doing defying gravity and then just she she it's not accidental either it is not accidental and it's not like oh well it's the Wicked Witch, what are you going to do? She takes off on her broom and sings about that specifically. I mean... I'm flying high, defying Regina. Why? Why? Why would you put the broom in that number? Why would you have her do the dramatic, you know... The yeah, why, why would you have her do the dramatic physical rise as the song crescendos? Like... This, so if they care to find me... Look at the western sky. Right? What? What? Why? Why? 
Anyway, she thinks about how she's better than Regina. Because Wicked always wins. So it's interesting here, when she leaves her palace, she walks out of the palace so that she can fly. And she's singing this song to the munchkins who are, like, cowering in fear. And there are invisible backup singers. Yeah, shouldn't the munchkins be the backup singers? or like... Yeah, they should have had the munchkins, like, be afraid and scurrying but still singing. I mean, that is what would have made sense, right? Yeah, instead, she just has these weird invisible voices behind her. And I mean, I don't have a problem with that. Oh, you know what she should have had? What should she have had? Flying monkeys. Flying monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I don't have a problem with invisible backup singers in a musical in general, but she's got the munchkins right there. Yeah. Anyway, her plan is that she's going to create the spell that stops the singing, plant it in Regina's vault, Regina will find it and use it to stop the spell, and then Zelina will show up and be like, ha, I'm the real person who stopped the spell. That's not the worst plan she's ever had. It's not, but her thing is like she's she says in the song she's like i want to stop regina when she's at the height of her victory so the dark curse needs to go off so she feels like she's won so i can sweep in and take everything from her i mean that is what happens i mean that's what she tries to do yeah i mean i mean the real reason this doesn't work is because her last step requires that she remember that this happened and at the end of the episode everybody's memories of Singing gets erased. So, wait. It's been a really long time since we had... Was Oz also frozen in the original Dark Curse? No, it was not. Why isn't Selena, like, 30 years older than Regina? Speaking of calling back to things, Max, what is time? Right. What is time? (sighs) Speaking of time, Snow White, David, and Hook go down into the vault, and Regina tells them that she and Zelina have figured out a way to fix the curse with this potion that stops time. But then Rumple bamps in and bamps it away from them and is like, oh good, I'll use it to freeze y'all instead. Okay, so did the knockout thing just last, like, a minute on him? Apparently. Because Dreamshade was still supposed to be, like, a big deal. But that was before he had the power of all of the Dark Ones and the power of the Olympian Gods. I'm actually okay with that part of the plot because Hook hasn't really done the math on how much stronger Rumpelstiltskin is, and we know that he's a lot stronger now. I just, I don't get why, if he had this, I just don't get why he didn't just kill the Black Fairy when she first showed up. Oh, right, the Black Fairy showed up. I mean, the Black Fairy could have healed Rumpelstiltskin and brought him back to consciousness. Also, the Black Fairy showed up. How did Hook get away? You know what? Let's... It doesn't matter. It's fine. (laughs) It's a musical. Just don't think about it too hard. Yeah, just just go with it. Don't think about it too hard, too hard. (laughs) Crazy ex-girlfriend. Yeah. So, Emma shows up to Regina's office where the Black Fairy is sitting behind Regina's desk. Because that's what evil villains do. Evil villains sit in the mayoral office. That fire is just going all the time in that office. It must be so hot. We keep the fire in our fireplace going pretty constantly. Mm, true. So Emma's like, so the Black Fairy's like, ah, you've come to surrender. And Emma's like, no, I'm here to murder you. I figured we would fight now because I have plans this afternoon. Like, I, 
I know you keep on saying that we can't have our big confrontation until the final battle, but then I realized you're the bad guy and I don't have to do what you say. Right. And then the Black Fairy bamps her frozen family in and is like, ah, but I already took your family from you. And Emma's like, I will fucking murder you. Bad move. I want to point out Henry's not there. Henry is very significantly not there. Yep, Henry's not there. I actually have a thing about that. So instead of saying, hey, what's up with Henry not being there? I want to say, hey, listeners, remember, Henry is not there. Hmm. I haven't told Max my theory yet either. All right. I have a theory that it's the author. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, what was happening? Right. The Black Fairy brought her family in. They're all frozen in time. And then the Black Fairy pulls out a ball and starts playing Emma's vocalization and is like, Oh, look, you're just a sad little orphan. You didn't have a family then and you don't have a family now. And people without families can't defeat me. That's why I collect orphans, except sometimes I don't. (laughs) And this actually brings back Emma's shakes, so she runs out of the office. Mm. She runs from the office to Henry, who's like, so I'm guessing it didn't go well. Yeah, yeah. And Emma tells him, she's like, she made me feel like I haven't felt in a very long time. She made me feel abandoned and alone. And and Henry's like, but you're not. Like, even if she froze our, our family, they were still there. And you still have me. You still have all of these people who love you. You know, sometimes people leave you halfway through the woods. Others may deceive you. You decide what's good. I like that you've been willing to sing all of these other lines, but you're not even going to give it a go with Sondheim. I, I can't. I can't. I love I love Stephen Sondheim so much. But, but he hates singers so hard. There's a uh, there's a forbidden Broadway song about that. There is, yes. Which is, weirdly enough... I, I guess he did do Assassins, because it was like, it's an Assassins, it's a, an Assassins song they made about Stephen Sondheim. No, it's not. It's an Into the Woods song about Stephen Sondheim. Are we thinking of the same one? I was thinking of Into the Words. What were you thinking of? Uh, I was thinking of a different one. It was, uh, oh God, I don't remember what it was called now, but I was, it was not Into the Words. It would not surprise me if Forbidden Broadway had done multiple songs about how Stephen Sondheim hates singers. Your words... Words like Sal Pruder, words like Dick Nixon, I will assassinate on cue. I have that's what we want me to do. If that's what you want me to do. I have not heard the Forbidden Broadway version of Jody, uh, of Jody Charlie. Oh my goodness. I I guess we know what we're going to be doing after we're done with. I love Forbidden Broadway. I've seen them live twice. I've only seen them live once, but. I'm also, I also know a woman who used to be. A cast member. Ooh. Yes. And she was also in a Stephen Sondheim show once. Wow. Yes. That must be a weird relationship between Broadway and Forbidden Broadway. Yeah, it's true. Because Broadway's not really, it doesn't have the whole SNL thing where people are constantly taking pot shots at it. Well, I mean, Forbidden Broadway's been running for years. Mm. I I also saw Assassins on on Broadway. Before it was cool. With Neil Patrick Harris as the troubadour. Before he was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was when he was still in his Doogie Hauser phase. It was pre How I Met Your Mother. Well, you know what they say. Nothing suits him like a Sondheim swoot. 
I actually remember because this was so before the Neil Patrick Harris Renaissance <laughs> that when we went to see it, I was like, Neil Patrick Harris is the troubadour. Actually, I was even worse. I was like, Doogie Hauser is the troubadour. <laughs> and then when I sat down and he started singing, I was like, holy shit, I was wrong. Oh my God, this is amazing. And then, of course, I saw Neil Patrick Harris again as Hedwig because I, like, freaked out to, specifically to see Neil Patrick Harris. And I was like, oh, full circle. What were we talking about? Right. Henry gives Emma a pep talk. He tells her that, you know, she has family. People love her. He brought her to this town to be the savior, which is a little bit of a rewriting of why he brought her to the town, but... Yeah. I'll allow it. He brought her to the town to break the curse, which I guess is technically what the savior does, but... Yeah. Anyway, Emma says she's just going to go to the Black Fairy and give her her heart and be done with it. And Henry's like, isn't that kind of a bad idea? Like, I don't want to... You do you. You're the one who's in charge of your own life. But this seems like it's a really bad decision. Maybe you should rethink it a bit. And she's like, nah. No, this is my plan. Okay, speaking of people with half-thought-out plans. David and Mary Margaret break into the Evil Queen's castle in the past. I guess David and Snow. To sing at her. To sing at her. It's great. She's like, well, 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 what have we here? And she pops a fireball. And David and Mary Margaret just start singing at her. The look on Lana Priya's face is everything. (laughs) It's gold. She's like, what the fuck with this? And she knows. She knows that this is the plot of the episode. And she's still like, are you fucking kidding me with this nonsense she looks how you would look if you were just going through your day-to-day life and then someone started aggressively singing at you here's the thing then she starts aggressively singing back at them but maintains her look of disgust with this whole affair the choreographer should have probably spent a little more time on her dance moves because it is a lot of her thrusting her chest out at them i think they just probably do whatever she was comfortable with A lot of chest work. Yeah, a lot of chest work. Anyway, she's just throwing fireball after fireball at them, and I guess their singing is giving them strength, so it's not doing anything. Yeah, the fireballs are just poofing off them, and soon she can't even summon the fire. Oh no. I I touch the fire and it freezes me. I look into it and it's black. Why can't I feel... Their skin should crack and peel. I I want want the fire back. (laughs) Uh, But But instead of once more with feeling, Regina takes a a move from... Hush? Yeah. She grabs the box that Zelina planted in her vault and uses it to suck out their, their singing. Not their voices, but their singing. Wow. This is... Oh my god. There's precedent for this. What do you mean? This is this is what Triton did to Ursula. Well, but Triton took away her oh, singing voice. You're right. Well, now I kind of wish they'd tied that in instead of an unnecessary detour to the Wicked Witch. I understand uh, well, that they had to use the actors that are on the show. I think they should have just used the seashell prop. That's what I mean. I wish that they had tied it to that instead of to something that the Wicked Witch had done. I mean, they could have just given Zelina the seashell prop. Exactly. Well, but she should have had the seashell prop instead of it being a thing that was planted there by Zelina. But 
I understand the constraints of we have to give Rebecca Mater a song. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. But I, it is the best thing ever because she takes their song from them. And then they try singing at her and, and it's just them yelling lyrics at her. So can they just not sing anymore? Or? Have we ever heard them sing is the question. Ooh. I feel like Mary Margaret might have sang to a baby at some point. Huh. Maybe. Oh, God, I don't know. Oh, my God. Have we heard them sing? Well, now we have to watch the whole series up to this point. Yep. Or or listeners, tweet us. Have we heard them sing? So it's, it's kind of great because uh, Regina takes away their singing, their singing voices. And she's like, I'm still doing the whole dark curse thing, so I'm not going to kill you now. And she bamps them back into their castle. Yeah, and Snow is super angry at Blue because this was an unaffect because this was an ineffective wish, and Blue shows up to sh- explain that that's how wishes work. Yeah, she's like, "Oh no, this wasn't for you to stop, Regina. It was to put the spirit of music into your child's heart, so she'll know that you're always with her through song." Yeah, the song created a power for all the people that love Emma, and now it's going into Snow's womb, and when Emma faces her toughest battle, she will have the power of all of the people who love her with her. Okay, that doesn't seem like something you need a musical spell to do. Well, you know, it's fucking blue. Also, why were the villains singing? Okay, no, this is my theory. It's all of the people who love Emma, including Regina. Huh. And Selena, I guess. Yeah. And Hook, which were, yeah, okay. Yeah. So even though they're on opposite sides right now, at the point where Emma is at the final battle, Regina is still a person who loves her. Huh. That raises some questions as to why Belle isn't in this episode. (laughs) Or does it answer those (laughs) questions? Has Bill ever really had a positive interaction with Emma? Not that I can think of. I don't even think they've interacted that much. Not really. It also explains why the Dark One isn't affected by the wish. The Dark One doesn't have any songs. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Also, uh, Jared Gilmore very wisely Allison Hannigan'd out of this. Yeah, Henry, Henry sings a single line. I mean, it makes sense because... All the songs, except for one that we haven't gotten to yet, take place in the flashback, so how would Henry have a song? But yeah, he has a single line. I think this line's mostly filler. Under Your Spell is one of my all-time favorite songs, and I think that's because they're like, okay, okay, this is supposed to be a duet, but only Amber Benson can sing. So are you okay with just Amber Benson doing all of the singing? And Alison Hannigan was like, yeah. Yeah, I am. Actually, I think Allison Hannigan specifically asked to not be forced to sing. Which, good. I mean, she only has a few lines. and It's fine. It's funny, though, because you're bringing this up, but it also makes me think of Nothing Suits Me Like a Suit, the mm. musical song, well, one of many, many musical songs from How I Met Your Mother. And it's the same thing. Allison Hannigan, after a single line, gets cut off by Barney before she can sing her verse. Yeah. What if world peace was in your Lily, reach? Lily, Lily, I'm going to stop you right there. Get your head out of your ass. Uh, there's some good songs in uh, How I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your Mother has amazing songs. It doesn't have any episode that I would call a musical episode, but it has several episodes 
that have songs in it, and they're almost all amazing. Well, Jason Segel and, uh, you know, Neil Patrick Harris... Yes, yes. Are both mu- are, are both musically inclined people, and I do like that in Jason Segel's case, they actually make it part of Marshall's character that he's always singing. Apple Orchard. <laughs> Red, green, banana, two, five, six, three. <laughs> or whatever it was. Yeah. Also, of course, they have the plot with Colby Smothers where she was a former pop star, which is amazing. Let's go to the mall. <laughs> oh, God, we're just going to get stuck down there. Oh, man. You know what? We might have to, we might have to, after we're done recording, just watch all of the Robin Sparkles episodes in a row. We've done that before. Yeah, it's pretty great. Honestly, I, it makes me really angry, though, because, okay, so two little lines I like to do in How I Met Your Mother, watch all of the Robin Sparkles episodes in a row, or watch all of the Slap Bet episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. And they both start with Slap Bet, which is the first Robin Sparkles episode. Yes. There is a transphobic joke in that episode. It is three seconds long and makes it impossible for me to recommend this genuinely to anyone. Fuck the 2000s. Yeah, it's in a really weird space because How I Met Your Mother isn't a post-friends, okay, we realize that gay people existing can't just be a punchline realm, so they land on transphobia being the acceptable thing to do instead of gay jokes. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just so many transphobic jokes in early 2000s era stuff, at which I feel like it's sort of a reaction to people being like, oh, homophobia is not really funny anymore. Yeah. Which you can actually see over the first season or so, because the first season of How I Met Your Mother does have its fair share of gay jokes i think that it gets more progressive the longer you watch it until you get to the last season when it becomes terrible again Mm. Mm. i mean there is the great line uh with uh baby marvin when they're planning their first outing with baby marvin and they choose like the park that they want to go to and uh marshall's like yeah and when you get older you realize it's a great place to pick up girls or guys whatever you're into i'm like oh that's kind of a neat little moment yeah since we're talking about musical episodes, the last season is trash. But there is an all-rhyming episode that has Lin-Manuel Miranda performing a little rap interlude. It is great. That is a great episode. Yes. You know what other show didn't have a single musical episode but had a lot of songs in it that was great? What show? 30 Rock. 30 Rock? Yeah, 30 Rock never had a straight-up musical episode. It just incorporated music into it naturally. Yeah. I would also say Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt... Except I would say that Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt does have a musical episode. The one where he's doing that Beyonce album. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt has multiple musical episodes. No, uh, Kimmy's Roommate Doesn't Lemonade is amazing. Yes. yes. Oh, man, I have to my, I might have to rethink my recommendation. <laughs> we should get back to this because we are at the most important part of this, this the show that we talk about. All right. Okay, so Henry is in the sheriff's station alone, and he pulls out his book and he opens it to the blank page, you know, because that's where we are, right? He's getting ready to write the final chapter. Mm-hmm. And in frustration, he tosses it to the floor, and from out of the book spills a page that he has never seen before. A page that tells the story of... The musical episode. The musical episode. I want to point out, this is a real rumple move. 
And, like, he reminds me a lot of Robert Carlyle in his body language in this scene. It's some really good, subtle acting on Jared Gilmore's part if it's intentional. It's amazingly well done. It very much ties him to the fact that he is Rumpel's grandson. So he picks up the page with the musical episode, which is not tied into the book. And he does say, you know, he, he does act as though he's not sure where it came from when he reads it. But my theory is that this scene is not real. This scene is part of the story. That, in fact, everything that happened in this episode, including the forgetting about it so that it could fit neatly into the continuity without messing things up too much, was a trick by Henry. How do these people not have brain damage? Well, I don't think it ever actually happened. Mm. I think Henry wrote this and then wrote that everyone forgot it. So that he wouldn't mess with the timeline. So he's not messing with the author stuff too much. He's not really crossing the line of forcing people to do things they didn't do. But he is creating the power so that he can give it to Emma. So that he can give her the strength that she needs to fight the final battle. I think that this whole episode is 100% an author creation. Hmm. Huh. I just realized I don't super actually remember how the show ends. Like, I remember the very broad strokes of what happens in the last couple of episodes. Well, good good news for you. We're gonna find out in two weeks. Yeah. It really doesn't feel like we need two episodes to wrap up. You know what I feel really weird about? What? I mean, I feel like I'm walking up a staircase in the dark because in two episodes, we'll be done with the stuff we've watched and we'll be like going into this blind yeah we don't know what happens in the seattle season yeah it's kind of scary isn't it yeah yeah i mean we're ready for charmed and half of us is ready for uh uncharted territories farscape welcome to the uncharted territories but for now we should finish this actual episode he said with like 10 minutes left in the actual (laughs) episode I'm so glad this is your week to edit. (laughs) So Emma shows up to give the Black Fairy her heart. And she's like, just take my heart. Don't hurt any of these assholes I'm, you know, associated with through blood or sex. Yes. And and in the case of Regina Bull. Oh. It's true. But it's not incest because she's a step. It's fine. And Incest is all relative. Then she kiss yes yes it is (laughs) then she kisses hook's frozen body and you know what props to colin o'donoghy good job just standing there and not moving i could not have done that because like he's moving while like she's very clearly actually interacting with a dude who's just standing incredibly still he's doing a really good job not moving there he has his lips pursed together really hard like you can tell he's trying really hard not to move but he does not move good job so the black fairy rips out emma's heart and then is unable to break it because it's too strong there's too much love in it which, this is the same thing that happened back when Cora tried to rip out her heart in season two. This is how Emma found out she had magic powers. Eh. But, whatever. It's kind of, it's great because she tries to crush the heart, and the heart just glows really hot white, and she drops it, and then it's just lying on the ground. It lies on the ground for so long, it gives me anxiety. It does. 
But Henry bursts in with the page to tell Emma about the song in her heart. And how she was never alone. And then Emma starts singing, and the Black Fairy has no context for this situation. I know! (laughs) It's... It's got to be, I was going to say it's got to be the weirdest thing, but also, if you're a fairy, maybe you just have to roll with this kind of crap. But Emma sings about how she used to be alone, but now she has friends, and yay. She has friends and family and people she has sex with and doesn't immediately kick out of her apartment afterwards. Is that a subtweet to me? That was not. So the Black Fairy's trying to use magic to murder her and her, her family, and... It's basically that scene again with Regina and David and Snow where the Black Fairy's trying to murder her, but she's singing at her and it's keeping her from murdering her. And then she like light blasts her family and they start to come to life. And Henry's like, keep singing, mom, you've got this. You know what this reminds me of in a really weird way? What's that? Harry confronting Voldemort in a very Potter musical. (laughs) When Harry's like, You can't hurt any of these people because they love me and I love them. And I would give my life for them and therefore you can't hurt them. And Voldemort's like, but you didn't give your life for them. And he's like, ah, but I meant to. That is, that is exactly what happens. That is, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So. So all of Emma's family wakes up and the Black Fairy pulls a sweet move and is like, okay, well fine i guess i'll just bamf out of here until the final battle then except sweet doesn't come back for the final battle yeah no sweet's like so i did my job all of your relationships are fucked up and i don't want to marry xander harris so bye (laughs) you think if xander had been less terrible he would have married him yes i would like to think that sweet is pansexual and doesn't have an issue with xander's uh being a man but rather just with xander being xander Hmm. well we saw how well Xander's actual wedding went down, so. Oh my god, I just I just want a total redo of Hell's Bells, but with Sweet instead of Anya. So it's Sweet walking in slow motion down the aisle. I can't do this, a demon. Oh god. So, oh my god, I, I, I need this so bad right now. Okay. I'm sure that there is fanfic about Xander actually having to marry Swede. I am 100% sure of that, but I don't want that. I just want an, I just want a scene... I, I just want a shot-for-shot shot remake of Hell's Bells with Sweet instead of Anya. That's what I want. So does Anya still become a vengeance demon in this world because Xander left her? Because it's not like he would have willingly left her under these circumstances. Oh, I don't... Wait, you mean in... My... I, I want to see a whole alternate six season where Xander marries Sweet. Where would they go from there, indeed? That, oh my god. So Dr. Hopper marries Hook and Emma. To each other. To each other. He officiates the wedding. He officiates the wedding, because he's the one guy who does all the official stuff in town for whatever reason. He's the only one who's a notary. (laughs) All right. Okay. So... Snow is wearing a very Mother of the Bride blouse. It's like peach silk with these big poofy sleeves. There's nothing particularly wrong about it, but it kind of ages her. If I had to give it a aesthetic, what I would say is older woman in a business setting in the 80s at a uh, office party. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's a good description of the outfit, especially because she's paired it with a black pencil skirt. Yeah. It has a very dated look to it. Yeah. Emma is wearing a wedding dress that is not Snow's wedding dress because Snow's wedding dress is all black now, which is a shame. She should have worn the black dress, but I guess maybe it's cursed or whatever. It's a weirdly old school look. It's got long lace sleeves. Uh, Sleeved wedding dresses are very out of style right now, so it's unusual that she's wearing a sleeved wedding dress. Um at all that's true i think of them as kind of old-fashioned even though i guess they didn't go out of style that long ago yeah but that's that is why you think of them as old-fashioned uh the i like kind of the headpiece veil thing she's got going on it's a little childlike empress but it's got a lot of lace on it it does kind of have a child empress from never ending story mm-hmm. thing going on with it it's funny you should say that because i was going to point her out as my mvp extra She's on screen for, like, less than half a second, although I'm sure she's one of the dancers in the sequence coming up. But there is a girl sitting behind Snow in the wedding scene mm-hmm. that when she flashed on screen, I just thought, oh, it looks like the Empress from NeverEnding Story. I'm completely imagining that that's who she is. So, Emma and Hook get married. Blah, blah, blah. I love you with all my pirate's heart. You don't need to work that into everything you do, dude. Okay, but he doesn't just say he loves her with all his pirate heart. He talks about how his first wife died, but she made him forget all about Mila. It's not a great wedding speech. But but whatever. (laughs) Like, I used to really have the hots for this other chick, but then you came along and I'm almost like, fuck her ghost. And then, and then Rumple super killed her, but none of us ever talk about that. Yeah. Wait, but does anybody know that? I actually don't know if anyone knows that. I don't that. think anyone knows that, which is honestly kind of depressing. He murdered Mila, and then he went into hell and destroyed her soul. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. They do the exchange of rings thing, and I want to note that Hook took off some of his rings so that his wedding ring will stand off, so that his wedding ring will stand out. But, but not... not- all of his rings. Yeah. that would That's ridiculous. Also, Emma talks about how she used to be an orphan and it made her sad, but Hook makes her feel better, which... You haven't been an orphan for, like, six years. Also, like, retroactively, you have a whole... You've had family for a really long time now. They don't talk about it much, but Emma also has two sets of memories. Right, she has the memories from living in New York with Henry, from raising Henry from a child. Yeah. God. They don't really go into how much that would mess you up having all those multiple sets of memories running through your head. I don't think it would actually mess you up that much because it's not like you're constantly thinking about your past. Things would spark memories of stuff and you would just know some of that's from one life and some of it's from a different life. I guess. So they get married, they kiss, and then they start dancing and singing It is the final song, because I guess there's some lingering effects of the wish being brought out of Emma's heart. And that lingering effect is that they are going to sing about how this is not their happy ending, it's their happy beginning. And the whole wedding is going to sing with them. I didn't recognize any of these people. Apparently they're all professional singers and dancers they hired to be part of this one final song. Okay, so I read a lot of advice columns, because... I just really enjoy them. And I was completely imagining the letter that would be written to a practical wedding, which is a wedding advice column, that would be like, Dear a practical wedding, my best friend is getting married in six months and she's making us all audition to come to her wedding. We all have to do a singing and a dance audition. 
not to be in the wedding, to come to the wedding. Is this unreasonable? Can I say no? I kind of, I really like Regina and Zelina's looks. Regina has this, like, it's this very odd sort of white short top with a really high black skirt. Yeah, Regina is wearing a great high-waisted skirt, and Zelina is wearing a great faux rack dress that just makes her rack jump out. (laughs) This is where Henry gets his one line where he's like, I didn't really want to be in this musical. That's why they only gave me this one line here. I'm not going to be back next season. Well, he actually does come back for a little bit. I'm only occasionally going to be back next season. So everybody sings and dances, and it's the end, and the dwarves all have a little bit where they like... They do like a little line thing, and it's cool because you've seen the dwarves throughout the wedding, but this is where they're all wearing gray suits, but in this bit you can see that they're all wearing different colored vests. I think the dwarves must have been his groomsmen. I guess. Wait, Hook doesn't really know a lot of dudes, does he? No, he does not. But it's a, it's a good song. It's weird how the two best songs are the ending song and the Mary Margaret David song. Oh, speak for yourself. The best song is Regina's song. So this happiness comes to an end because the clock strikes six and the dark curse is cast. So that's how we're going to leave the episode. The dark curse has been cast and next week we'll find out what it is and then we'll defeat it and then we'll start the... Seattle season. So everyone's happy with their just rewards until something happens in a cloud of minor chords. Not enough Gallivant references in this episode. No, no. Also, I probably slaughtered that. Ah, oh, God, I love Gallivant so much, but... We really should have talked more about Gallivant. Especially because as much as I did enjoy this episode this time around... Why didn't they get Alan Menken to do the music for this? Like, do you think he was mad because Gallivant was off the air now? Because Well, now they both aired on ABC, but was Gallivant produced by ABC? I don't actually know. Huh. Yeah, so it, it's, not, it's not a given that they would have had the ability to get him. Although, I mean, it's Disney. Disney can get Alan Menken when uh, Disney wants Alan Menken. It's Disney ABC. That's not really the same thing. Hmm. So can we just jump right to recommendations? Because I feel like we've been doing them throughout this whole episode. Well, yeah. Uh, we, sh- we should say, I don't know if we actually said it, The Dark Curse Hits. Yes, we did. Okay. But just just to make sure it's clear, The Dark Curse Hits and uh, everyone's going to be cursed now. Yeah. All sorts of cursed. So obviously your recommendations, like your meta recommendations is watch Gallivant. Obviously, yes. If Gal- you haven't watched it and you like Once Upon a Time... What are you waiting for? It's like Once Upon a Time if it was a half-hour comedy musical and good. Yeah. Like, it's Once Upon a Time, but better on every level. Stop sleeping on Gallivant. Go watch Gallivant. Gallivant is so good, and I think the whole thing's on Netflix. I believe so. It's been coming and going from to and fro on Netflix. Which, seriously, Netflix? (sighs) Yes. Okay. I don't know why I gasped I own it all on iTunes, but... It, it, it is still on Netflix. Yeah, we did both gasp there. Okay, so let's talk about... So other than watch Gallivant and watch the Buffy season six episode Once More with Feeling. Mm-hmm. Other than those two, um, I kind of wanted to be a little weird with recommendations. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is, what is your favorite Broadway musical? And just putting out there that we're not going to say Hamilton. 
because it's too fresh it's too fresh it's not fair obviously it's an amazing show but you can't really judge it until it's been out for like 10 years yeah you have to have you have to have time for the shine to wear off a show before you can fairly judge it this might make me hella basic to borrow a phrase but it's honest to god a toss-up between wicked and into the woods i mean we do a show about once upon a time i don't think anybody has any right to be very surprised about that it just into the woods makes me cry consistently it's so good it's so good and of course wicked is wicked oh god i would have said avenue q but i i think avenue q is really good for what it is but i feel like my musical choices are sort of stuck in a particular era well i definitely understand that my favorite musical is a chorus line Hmm. so you know yeah like it was chicago for me it was chicago for a while but i i honest to god can't think of the last time i really seriously listened to slash watch chicago and i would way rather watch wicked or into the woods than uh okay so chicago is great um, one of the benefits Chicago has over Into the Woods and Wicked is that it has a great movie. Yes, Chicago has a great movie. So you, the two of us, or you, our listeners, you can actually sit down and watch it anytime you want, whereas a show, like, you can't. Like, we can't tell you, go watch Wicked. What are you going to do? I mean, you could go listen to the soundtrack. Soundtrack's great. Or I'm sure there's a dozen rips of Wicked on YouTube. But it's not same it is not that's the same. not the same now into the woods you can tell people don't watch the movie i mean whatever it's fine but watch the concert version of into the woods yeah which was on netflix but i don't think it is anymore but, but you could probably buy it you can still find it lots of places more shows should do that i don't get why they don't it's so good you know they filmed one for hamilton that has never been released hmm. i think they probably will someday release it um there's also a good one for sweeney todd Wait, you mean... A good concert show. Oh, I was like, the movie's No, don't watch the Sweeney... It's whatever, it's fine. It's fine, but... No, no, I meant there's a good concert version of Sweeney Todd with Angela Lansbury. But with with Chicago, you you can watch the movie because let's be, let's be clear, like, I like, I like the musical, but you're not, you're not losing out by not hearing me and my baby or rose-colored glasses. Yeah, those were some good cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do like how they use me and my baby as background instrumental music for a couple of scenes. Yes. An interesting thing about Chicago, though, is it owes such a debt, I think, to a very disturbing Bjork movie called Dancer in the Dark. Really? Have you seen it? No. Okay, so that is one of those one-and-done movies. That is a movie that you can watch one time, and then that is it, because it is really disturbing. So, like, I can recommend it to our viewers with the warning that it's very disturbing, or I can recommend it to you, Max. But, Max, we cannot watch it together, because I will never watch it again. But it is a musical, and... And it's a woman who uses musicals as, as an escape from her life. So Very they're crazy ex-girlfriend, which, by the way, also, as long as we're recommending stuff. Yes. But there are a lot of sequences where, like, the dripping of water turns to percussion and then leads into a musical number the way it does in Chicago. Mm. Like, the transitions into musical numbers where it's clear that it's in her head and we're shifting into a musical are very reminiscent in Chicago, of the ones from the Bjork movie Dancer in the Dark. As long as we're talking about uh, TV shows with strong musicals, obviously, Scrubs. Oh, well, so that was the second thing I want to talk about. Oh, and oh, and by the way, since my recommendation is a chorus line, there is a movie version of the chorus line. It's eh. 
honestly, you're good if you listen to the original Broadway cast recording and then watch every little step, the documentary about the casting of the revival of Chorus Line. Do those two things and then you're good. Hmm. Yeah. So, but the other thing I wanted to do with recommendations was talk about non-musical TV shows. What are the best musical episodes of them? Okay, so Buffy's the obvious. Uh, right, right. Buffy's the one that's like, yeah, of course. We already, yeah. Scrubs really knocked it out of the park with theirs. I love the Scrubs musical episode. This isn't really fair because the show does have its own fair share of singing, but the Bob's Burgers Christmas episode, The Bleakin. Oh, hey, I wrote a blog entry about that episode for my blog, Every Christmas Episode Ever. You mean the blog that you can read on our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com? I do. We didn't find that. That was not planned. I have a new entry of that coming out this week. Cool. Yes. Also, if you haven't been reading our newsletters, you should read our newsletters. Oh, yeah. Also, we have a newsletter. If you don't want to miss anything, sign up for our newsletter. The link is in the show notes. We talk about TV we've been watching. Well, Tina talks about TV we've been watching. I write the newsletter. Yes. Which is funny because I, like, say we all the time, but then I say all this stuff and that's obviously me. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yes. The Scrubs episode, amazing. Um, I also, we mentioned it, but I want to throw out there the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt episode, Kimmy's Roommate Lemonades. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. Uh, let's see, other ones. Xena had a couple of musical episodes. I was never a really huge Xena person, and Lucy Lawless can sing, but I only kind of remember one of them, and I also don't remember it being great. Mm. Uh, Seventh Heaven did a musical episode. I would not recommend watching Seventh Heaven. Period. period. Yeah, no, not even to watch a musical episode. The only reason I know that is because back when TV Guide was still a thing, uh, my parents used to get it and I'd read it. Sure. And they had a uh, they had a thing where they said uh, they were talking about the upcoming musical episode and the title of it was uh, "The Camptons Are Going Buffy." And that was the oh, whole reason I know that they had a. That sounds no. No, no, no. Uh, obviously, the Riverdale. Obviously, we mentioned it, but the Riverdale musical episode was very enjoyable. Yeah, it made me actually want to revisit Carrie the Musical, which was not a good idea. Carrie the Musical is not good. And since, and you know, it's funny. I think Christmas episodes are often musical episodes, mm-hmm. but the Community episode. Abed's uncontrollable Christmas. No, that's amazing, and I love it, and it makes me cry every time. But as far as musical episodes go, I have to say. Uh, the the regionals music episode the one oh, that's the glee parody one the glee parody community episode that's that's the one that i go to for a musical episode whereas little, little dark for me yeah yeah trying trying to cover up the darkness of christmas just makes it darker yeah they 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 were going to some some pretty bad places there i mean good bad but like dark, dark. yeah so uh, I, guess, I guess that's it. Huh? Yeah, I, I guess I guess that's it. Although it's weird to say I guess that's it because we've been talking for a long time a little bit about this episode. Mostly it was a lot of chances to talk about other musicals and musical episodes of other TV shows. Maybe we should just talk about musicals more. Yeah. I do. Our next podcast, Welcome to Musical Episodes. Welcome to Broadway? Welcome oh. to Off-Broadway. Oh, oh, no. Um... Sorry, I'm going to take the naming convention from my other thing and do every musical episode ever. There we go. Yeah. I think that might already be a podcast. In which case we should listen to that podcast. I don't think so because I was looking for musical podcasts and I couldn't find any good musical podcasts. 
Huh. Hmm. Okay. So uh, we should, we didn't actually do it. We should do Fashion Corner briefly. Sure. We touched on a lot of fashion throughout the episode, but yes, you're right. I mean, we always do. Yeah. Regina and Zelina were low-key killing it this episode. All of their outfits were great. Yeah, I actually think that Regina's outfit in the flashback was great. It was gold instead of her usual color palette. I mean, it was black and gold, but, um, you know, the black leather pants and then her her bodice was gold. And, I, and her bodice was gold and black. And it was shorter than it usually was so that she could dance. dance. more. <laughs> yeah. But it was... Lovely, and it looked really great in motion. See, I, I was thinking more of Zelina and Regina's modern day looks. Also great. Regina's kind of, in this episode, she sort of settled into a black and white aesthetic, which I think works really well for her. Yeah, she did bring some more red, though, to it this this episode. More pops of red. Some, I mean. Um, well, I like the pops of red because it calls because it ties her into Emma. Yeah, but it's not like season one where she was wearing the black suits with the red piping. It wasn't like that. That's true. Do you think she just got rid of all of her evil clothes? Yes. Yes, I do. So that should about do it. Yeah. I just wanted to give them credit for giving them very good outfits. And really, where was Belle this episode? <laughs> she wasn't even at the wedding. She wasn't even at the wedding. Although that makes sense because you're not going to invite Rumple to the wedding for obvious reasons. And I guess you can't really invite one part of a couple and they are unfortunately a couple again you have a minus one to this wedding <laughs> exactly exactly i've never heard it phrased like that but that's actually a perfect way to put that when you don't invite someone because their partner is terrible their partner has a negative one yeah yeah our show is partially listener supported special shout out thank you to all of those supporters this week since we are very excited to be getting ready to do our descendants podcast and we would especially like to thank our five dollar and above patrons beryl patricia sam cassidy alex alicia and ryan uh if you'd like to support the show in other ways you can always rate and review us on itunes it helps other people find the show if you want to talk about this episode head over to our facebook page facebook.com slash i love television zines we can also be contacted at I love TV zines on Twitter or at I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke. Inspiring songs in my heart. Got the magic I need for my darkest of deeds. Love and times can entrance, but love doesn't stand a chance. Love doesn't stand a chance.